So we're talking about relationships, and we're talking about something that I actually really care passionately about, friendship. And I feel like it's something that, um, that is so crucial to life, but it's so easily discarded. And um, I have a story to tell you. When I was in fourth grade, I started becoming friends with the cool kids in fourth grade. And those, in fourth grade, the cool kids were like the ones who could run the fastest, who were the best at sports, that kind of stuff. And I started becoming friends with them, and I was like, this is great. I'm starting to break into the upper, you know, upper echelon of the kids in fourth grade. There was 20 of us. You know, I'm finally friends with the three that are cool. And so I got invited to a sleepover. And I, I was like really excited about that. And I was like, yes, my first sleepover with the cool kids. And so I go over and... So we're, we're hanging out, it's good, and then we all decide to go out in the woods and run around like fourth graders do, and, and so we're running around, and there's a creek there, and these guys are like, ah, I got a great idea, this is what we can do. We can like go along the, the bank, and we can jump into the creek, and while we're doing it, we can pull our pants down and moon each other. All right, I'm like a, a private kid, and like that sounded like a nightmare to me. I was like, I don't want to do that. And so they all started doing it, and then they all started like, and they were like, yeah, you know, like flipping and like, boo! Oh my goodness, I might went out there. <laughs> that would have been terrible. Um, and so like they started pressuring me to do this, and like I was like, I have to be part of the cool kids, and so I was like, you know, okay, close your eyes, I'm gonna do it. <laughs> Jumped in and pulled it, you know, just showed the crack. That's it, you know. I didn't want to go all the way down. It was it was so embarrassing and they I felt so much pressure from them to do this thing that in fourth grade I did not want to do. It was horribly embarrassing. And I remember going home the next day and my, I was really quiet and my mom knew I was really excited about this this sleepover and she was like, Jonathan, you're really quiet. What happened? And all of a sudden I just like burst out into tears and I was like, they made me pull my pants down. <laughs> Alright. And I've since realized those guys were not my friends. Right? They didn't really care about me. They were companions. They were people that I associated with that maybe just wanted to embarrass me. I mean, they thought it was cool, I guess. I don't know. And I think that there's something here that, that challenges us because life is full of companions, but not many friends. And so if you look at this scripture, oh, here we go. Friendship is so weird. This is a beautiful scripture. <laughs> You just pick a human you've met and you're like, yep, I like this one, and you just do stuff with them. <laughs> Friendship is weird because you're like, can I be friends with you? Who, are, who is my friend? Can, you know, it's, it's a strange thing. But in Proverbs 18.24, this is written by King Solomon. He wrote most of the Proverbs. It's a book in the Bible. And Solomon was the second king of ancient Israel. He's the son of David, King David. And he was apparently very, very wise. And if you look at Proverbs, you'll see... It's full of like practical life advice that actually applies. If you read through it, you're like, yeah, that applies to me, that applies to me. I mean, it's like written for today, although it was written thousands of years ago. And he said this. He said, a man of many companions comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than the brother. And he puts this out there, and I think it's so relevant for today when we are associated with so many people, but yet we struggle, like Christian talked about two weeks ago, we struggle with isolation we struggle with loneliness. We struggle with being too busy and too stressed out. And so rarely do we find a friend who sticks closer than the brother. And too often we fall into the category of a man of many companions. And we find ourselves not living the life that God wants for us, not living the life that, that is 
the best life we can live because we, we struggle in our relationships. And so I think it's a trap we can fall into. I'm missing a scripture there. Okay. Janine, can you pull up Ecclesiastes 4, 7? And so there's another, there we go. There's another book that Solomon wrote, and it's called Ecclesiastes. And it's really talking about how life just really sucks. Really, that's what's like, and it's written by Solomon, and he's looking at life, and he's just like, this is meaningless, this is pointless, this is terrible, this is hopeless. Really, it's a book that we should all read when we're feeling down, because it will just put us over the edge. All right, and he wrote this. And he, and he wrote this thing. He said, again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. Okay? For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This, too, is meaningless, a miserable business. And you look at this, and I actually think that Solomon was writing this about himself. Because here was a man who had everything you could ever want, right? He was wealthy beyond imagine. He was successful. He was constantly praised. He had access to every single thing that you wanted, right? He had 700 wives. Do you think he... You think he liked pleasure, right? I mean, like, he was like, I want it all. He wasn't content with one wife, two wives, 700 wives. And that wasn't good enough. He had 300 women on the side. They're called concubines. I hope there's not many kids in here. Okay, he he lived life to the fullest. And he looked at his life and he realized, I have everything I could ever want But I am alone, and life is meaningless. And so he's saying, you can have it all. You can strive after all of these things. But if you lack true relationships, real friendships, you are going to feel empty. You're going to wonder what life is all about. You're going to feel purposeless. And that's where Solomon finds himself. And he writes this out. And I find it so interesting, because he wrote this thousands of years ago. But there was a study concluded just a little while ago called, uh, there we go, the Harvard Grant Study. And every conclusion, this study, over 75 years, they studied 724 men. It came to the exact same conclusion Solomon came to. The most important thing, and there's a study about being happy and being healthy. And the men who were the happiest and the healthiest It wasn't because they were the most successful. It wasn't because they had everything they wanted. It was because, for them, relationships really mattered. The people who had real friendships, real relationships, they experienced the most happiness in their lives. They experienced the best health in their lives compared to the people in this study who didn't have that. So it didn't matter how rich you were. It didn't matter how much stuff you had. What mattered is the treasure of relationship. And see, that challenges me because so much of what we focus on and invest in is not people, is not relationships, trying to get what we want next, trying to make this much money, trying to achieve this success, you know, or try to watch as much Netflix as possible. That is not going to give you purpose in life, right? After you watch a really good Netflix series, you're like, and it's over? Aren't you just like, do I want to live anymore? Right? (laughs) Is there any more purpose for my life and my existence, right? We are a culture 
that values so much else than real relationship. And the other result of this that I think is really important, the second thing is it was quality, not quantity of relationships that are most important. So it's not how many Facebook friends you have. It's not how popular you are. Right? It's not how many companions you have, people that are going to say, hey, you're awesome, bro, and then just keep on walking. It's the people that when you say, hey, my septic is overflowing in my basement, who can help me? Those people come to your rescue, right? And if you have no one who comes to your rescue, you've got to reevaluate how you're living your life because we are people who are designed to have relationship. We need it. It's like air, yet because we don't, it's not as important as air. I mean, it is, but because we can get air really easy. You know what I'm saying, right? (laughs) You know, get inside here for a little bit. It's madness, okay? And so we live in a world that says you don't need other people, that says it's okay if you don't have good friendships. You don't need to have a, you know, a social life. But what's truth is we are all in the same boat. We all long to be noticed, to be heard, and to be valued. And we all need to be people who notice others, who listen to others, and we value other people. We say you are important, and not just by words, not just by you know, pithy statements, but it's actually by action, by investment, by saying, I will spend time with you. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'll get there. Okay, hold on. C.S. Lewis, who is a a really great philosopher, says this quote that's always spoke to me. He says, friendship is unnecessary. Like philosophy, like art, like the universe itself, I would say like music, right? It has no survival value, right? It's not necessary. You could still get up and live the next day without friends. Rather, it is one of those things which give value to survival. It gives meaning and purpose to your life. And so if we deprioritize friendship, if we devalue relationships, if we say, you know what, I know friends, I mean, all of us would say, are friends important? And you would say, yes, they are. And then I would look at how you spend your week, and I would say, I don't see you investing in any of your friends. And I would call you a liar. And I would call me a liar, too, because really, it's, <laughs> that's so mean of me, but I would, because how we spend our time, which is a, it's a limited resource, how we invest our time, we have to be intentional about it. We have to say, this is important enough for me to actually say to my friends, hey, let's hang out. To say to my friends, hey, I care about you. I want to spend time with you. And I think that part of the reason why there is so much depression, so much stress, so much despair in this world is because we have found ourselves isolated We have found ourselves alone too often, right? We have found ourselves people who are disconnected. And so when you are alone and isolated and you're left with just yourself, have you ever been in that place where you've just been like thinking really bad things about yourself and and just constantly condemning yourself and thinking there's no future and no hope, right? And when you're by yourself, you just get under that. It's like a burden put on you. And I think that if we, as one of the reasons why our culture struggles so much with this sort of stuff, And so, I want to talk about three things. I said this, but I want to talk about three things that I think a true friend does, okay? And I just want you guys to evaluate. I I know you're all friends, and you all have friends, and you're all friendly. But I want you to evaluate and say, am I doing this, right? And there might be a season where you did it, and then you stopped doing it, 
And you have to kind of like get back to the basics of what it means to be a friend. We have to get back to the place where, where we say this is valuable. You know, it's something that we can learn from kids because they love their friends. There's nothing more important in, in life to them than like spending time with their friends. Constantly, can I see my friends? When I see my friends? What do I do? To, Shut up! We don't want to clean the house and have friends over. You know, whatever. So the first thing is a friend gives you hope. And I want us to watch a video clip from the movie Rudy. Anybody seen the movie Rudy? Okay. It's an incredible, based on a true story about a kid whose dream was to play at Notre Dame football, right? But he wasn't very athletic. He wasn't that talented. He wasn't even that smart. So it was really hard for him to get to Notre Dame. But his dream was to go to Notre Dame and to play football. And I want to just look at this quick scene between him and his friend. And so he ends up graduating high school and then he is working at a steel mill that his father worked at, that his grandfather worked at. And his dream is just down here. It's crushed. And so let's, let's watch this. Okay. So what I love about that is that he, he said, you're the only one who's ever took me seriously in my dreams. Friends know each other and they know their dreams. Companions don't. They're like, you know, hey, be blessed, go out. Friends actually know the things in your heart that you long for. And there are going to be times when you are going to feel discouraged and despair. Like, I'm never going to fulfill those dreams. I'm never going to see those things happen. And what this guy did is he said, I believe in you. We're not giving up. We're going to keep on going. You need that. There was a story that I read um, from when I was a kid. Little Pilgrim's Progress. Not Pilgrim's Progress, Little Pilgrim's Progress because I was a kid and I couldn't read Pilgrim's Progress. And I can't remember who wrote it. Was it John Bunyan or Paul Bunyan? <laughs> John, right? Right, because Paul Bunyan's not real, right? He was like the... Okay. Uh, I wanted to Google that before I got up here, but I forgot to. So, Because if, if I went all in on Paul Bunyan, you guys could have never taken me seriously for the rest of this talk. So there is a story that I read. It's about this little pilgrim named Christian who was heading to the, to the king's... Uh, you know, city. And so he's going along and he meets a friend named Hopeful and they're walking along and they're going on the king's path. But the king's path heads up over a ter- like a big mountain. And they're like, no, this looks really, really hard. And there was a shortcut that looked really, really appealing because it was flat and beautiful. And so they walked on there, but they ended up leaving the path and getting captured. Here we go. By, oh, we'll get there. By a giant. And this giant was named Despair. And this giant captured them and took them back to his castle called Doubtful, Doubting. And they threw him into, he threw him into prison. And day after day, he beat Christian and Hopeful and said, there's no way, no one knows you're here. You are stuck here forever. Your life is over. Your dreams are done. Okay? And then what he did is he took poison and he put it in, the, in their prison and said, when you are ready to give up your life, just drink this poison and it'll be, all be over. All right, and so day after day, and they were despairing and growing weary, and Christian especially said, I can't do this anymore. There's no hope. And Hopeful stood there, wonder why it's called Hopeful, and he said, don't give up. There's going to be a way. There's going to be something that's going to save us. The king will save us. Just don't give up. And he kept on speaking that to him day after day. And finally, Christian remembered, I don't know why he forgot for so long, that he had been given a key weeks earlier called the key of promise, right? And that key opened up the prison so that he could escape from the castle doubting and run away from despair. And I remember this story because it speaks to my heart because every one of us needs a hopeful in our lives. There are going to be times that we are going to be captured by despair. There are going to be times that we're going to be caught up in, 
in doubt. And we're going to feel like, you know, maybe it's faith, maybe it's our future, maybe it's our success. Who knows the things in our hearts? And we need hopeful to come along and say, don't give up. Don't give up hope. Hold on to the promise, right? Remember, there are promises in your life. Now, I believe there are God's promises over every one of our lives. But you might not believe that. That's okay if you don't feel like God's promises are in your life. But there are dreams that God... I would say God put there, but there are dreams that you have. Every human, this is humanity, we all long for something more. It's there, but the world has a way of crushing those hopes, has a way of pushing us back, especially when we feel like we're right about to get there, and it seems like it's taken away from us, and you sit in that place like, oh, again. And we need hopeful to speak to us, and we need to be hopeful to other people. Right? How often are we intentionally encouraging people when they're in their pain, in their despair, in their doubt, in their frustration? We need to be the voice that says, don't give up. There is more to life than what you see right now. There's more to life than the prison that you're captured in. Did you see this? Proverbs, thanks, Janine, for switching that. Proverbs 17, 7. A friend is always loyal, and a brother is born to help in time of need. You were born to help other people, especially in that time of need. See, like, there's like a call on us. And this is the thing. I, this is what I love about following Jesus is that he doesn't make it too complicated. He doesn't do things. He doesn't ask us to do things that we cannot do. He doesn't say a friend is always loyal and a brother is born to help by flying all over the universe. Right? That would be impossible. And I'd be like, I, I'm out. I can't fly over the universe. I'm born to help because I can do that. I can see someone who's struggling. I can see someone who's hurting. And I can take time to invest and encourage. That's the call. So the first thing is we need to be people who are giving hope to those who are stuck, who are trapped, who are feeling despair. Who are you giving hope to? Who are you holding up? Who are you encouraging? Don't answer. That's a rhetorical question. The next thing is it helps, a friend helps keep you on the right path. And so Solomon also says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are lavish and deceitful. That this is a, a mark of a true friend. It's they're willing to be honest with you, even if it hurts, even if it's going to hurt your feelings, right? See, we don't like to be told when we're not perfect. We like to live in this little perfect bubble like everything I do is wonderful, right? And I want to surround myself with people who think that I'm wonderful and I'm doing good all the time. But the truth is, that we are like, we deceive ourselves, we rationalize, and honestly, oftentimes, left to ourselves, we are destructive. And we stop the things that are good for us in our lives, and we actually pursue the things that are bad for us. And that's why we need friends who are gonna wound us, not in a, like, you know, a knife way, but wound us in their, their words, saying, hey, don't go this way. Don't pursue this. You're gonna hurt yourself. You're gonna hurt others in this meantime. I think that it is something that's really challenging because in this culture, like, we just want to be people who are permissive. Especially like, yeah, it's, what's good for you, bro, you can do that. You know, and I'll do me, you do you, you know, and that's good. But I think a friend says, okay, when you guys, are there any cops in the room? Okay, good. All right, so when you, when you pass, when you pass a, a, like a speed trap, right, and you're miraculously going the speed limit of 25 miles per hour on a road that you never do, and you're like... I can't believe you didn't get me, okay? And you go there, right, and you see other cars going towards the speed trap, what do you do? You flash your lights. I am like a madman. I'm like, 
They're going right away. You know, like, I'm, like I feel so good warning them of the danger that's lurking for them. They're waiting for them. Right? You're like, no, I'm waving my hands. I'm honking the horn. And, you know, the people are like, okay, we get it. We get it. You're embarrassing yourself. Calm down. I remember when we were out in California and we were hiking and we saw a rattlesnake. And, like, that was, like, really scary because we don't see rattlesnakes around here. And we're like, rattlesnake. And so we were, you know, hiking along and we saw another group of people hiking towards the rattlesnake. And, you know, I was like, hold on. There is a rattlesnake. Just 20 yards that way. Just want to warn you, because you might step on it, right? Like, I felt so good. Like, it was my response, my duty to warn every person I saw. It was a baby rattlesnake, the baby rattlesnake that we saw, right? We find it okay when we want to warn people of physical danger. But yet, there's like a disconnect when we don't want to warn people about life choice danger. Like, you're, going, you're, you're in this relationship that's obviously abusive or destructive, yet, you know, you, you just step back and just let them have their way. Like, we need to be people. I think it's like we're selfish and we're afraid. And we don't want to be seen as, like, the, the bad person. But we need to be people that when we see someone, that the reason why you're in their life sometimes, and you're in my life sometimes, is to warn me of the danger I'm pursuing. And so we need to be people who do that. We can't, you know, shy away from that. The worst thing we can do is be permissive friends who don't care what others do. We have to be people. Love motivates us to warn. I love those people so much that I warn them of the speed trap or the rattlesnake. Don't go there, right? Do I love my friends more? I should. And so I'm invested. I'm warning them. I'm talking to them. Recently, uh, last summer, my daughter went to a party she is an upperclassman, and she went to like an underclassman's party, and she just thought it was going to be a funny little freshman party. But when they got there with their friends, it was like a full-out like you know like drinking party. Like no parents there; they are all like drinking like crazy. Okay, these little freshmen—they have no idea what they're doing. It's dangerous. And she sees this one girl friend who has had so much to drink that she can't stand. She's just completely, just completely sick, and. What's really sad is there's, in those kind of cultures and those environments, like, everybody thinks that's really funny. And they're, like, encouraging her, drink more, drink more. You know, they have games that cause you to drink more, drink more. And, and Selah was like, this is awful. And there's kind of like a teenager code in those kind of places that you don't tell parents, you don't say what. And she said, she stopped the party and she said, this girl is going to die if you guys keep on giving her drinks. Who is, like, who are her parents? I need her parents' number right now because I need to call her parents. That's a major no-no. Like, you don't, like, snitch like that. But this girl was in so much danger that she said, this is, I need, we need, even if you guys all think I'm not cool, it's worth it to save this girl's life. And so she called. The parents came. They took her to the hospital. The doctor said if she would have had one more drink, something, she would have died. Whatever she heard, her blood alcohol level was so high, she would have died. See, sometimes, like, we, need to, we have to realize that when we see something in someone else's life, it's not just to be judgmental and not just to talk to other people about it, but actually to take action with love. When action and love are combined, we can change people's lives. We can lift people up. And so we need to be people who steer people onto the right path. Okay. A friend sacrifices for you. And so where does God plan this? Because I haven't talked a whole lot about Jesus. But I think Jesus modeled what it looks like to walk out 
in love, and in friendship. He said, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. Now, just a little bit of context. Jesus shared this the night before he was going to die. He was at Passover. He was sitting with his best friends, you know, his disciples. And he said this, love each other the same way that I have loved you. Now, that's cool. We're like, oh, yeah, okay, that sounds really great. But for those guys, they know how Jesus loved them. They know when Peter was a fisherman and he had no hope of doing anything else, Jesus stepped into his world and said, I see more in you. Follow me. They know Matthew, who was a tax collector, who was hated by his fellow people because he was a thief and he worked for the Roman government, which we all know Rome was oppressive to the Jewish people and they hated him. Matthew was hated by everyone. Jesus said, hey, take me to your house. Let me eat with you. Let me make you a disciple of mine. That was the first time anybody ever saw anything good in Matthew, but Jesus did. He was willing to love beyond what was normal, beyond what we say is, you know, what, what should be given. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And then we know what Jesus did. He went to the cross the next day, and everybody rejected him. Everybody betrayed him. Everyone had given up hope on Jesus. But he said, I will not stop loving you. I will continue to pour out my love for you, no matter how you feel about me. My love is here for you, right? And he went to the cross, and we know he rose from the dead. And now he's saying, hey, if you're going to follow me, live like this. Who are you laying your life down for? How are you sacrificing for other people? See, in this culture, it's so me. And I know we know we don't want to live selfishly, but yet we get caught up in that. And so we always think, okay, well, what can people do for me? What can my friends do for me? And Jesus is saying, he's flipping on us. He's saying, no, 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 don't look at other people to fill your needs. You look to fill other people's needs. You look to love them, serve them, bless them, encourage them, lift them up. That's the way that Jesus called us to. And the thing about Jesus is that, hold on, let me get my notes. Finally, Jesus' example of love will make your life better and will help you live a better life. See, even if you don't believe in Jesus, if you apply the things that Jesus says, your life will change. Even if you don't say, okay, I believe in everything that you've done, right? That's okay. I encourage all of us to try it. Who are you laying your life down for? This week, this past week, who have you laid your life down for? If we all can't think of a reason or a person that we've done that for, then we need to make it a priority. We need to start saying, this is important to us. This is important to me. Um, a couple weeks ago, I talked a little bit about, you know, the, the brokenness I was in Rebecca's on my marriage eight years ago, and when everything fell apart, and when, ev- when everything was just um, awful, and we had no idea what we were going to do, and, and, and whatever, um, and I, I know you guys are all like, oh, what happened? Take me out to coffee, and I'll tell you. We're, not a, we're, we're willing, but it's a long story, so um, take me out, or maybe dinner. That is probably longer. Um, um, but as soon as my brother, who lives in California, and back then, he didn't have very much money, and he, was, and, living in, and he lived in L.A., and living in L.A. is very expensive, so he didn't, as soon as he found out, he literally drove right to the airport, bought a ticket there, hopped on the plane, flew out, drove to my house, and he comes in, and he comes, comes up, and the first thing he does is hug Rebecca, and they hug for like five minutes. And you know, like, a friend hugs for longer than five seconds, right? A friend can hug. I mean, it'd be weird if a stranger hugged you for five minutes, but a friend can hug. And he's willing to sacrifice and drop everything to come out here. And he didn't even say anything. 
he just hugged her, and he hugged me, and we cried. Like, you're going to be known for how you sacrifice for people. Like, you're not going to be known for how good you are at Mario Kart. Like, no one cares in the end, right, how much Netflix you've watched, how much um, video games you've played. Not even, I mean, even like the great music songs, that you, music songs, <laughs> songs that you write, whatever. I mean, the thing that's going to mark your life is how you've laid your life down for other people, how you've loved people, how you've willing, how you've gone out of your way to show people that they are valuable. In that moment, Rebecca and I felt like this big, and he came out and he said, you are valuable. I notice you. I hear you. I love you. And I've got a lot of other stories that I can talk about during that time, especially of people who showed us incredible amounts of love. And so, just to end, I feel like there's two ways that we can do this. We need to start evaluating our time. Like, your time is a resource, and how you spend it, it's so important. Like, if, if you really just spend most of your time, like, by yourself, I mean, I, I'm, I know, I'm an introvert too, I like to be by myself, but like, you have to evaluate, are you really investing in your friends like you need to be? Are you being a friend like you need to be? And you might say, I have no friends. Well, then you know what? You need to be a friend. There are plenty of people who are looking for friends. And if you don't have a friend, right, just like you say, hey, can you be, let's go out coffee. Let's, let's do this. Let's hang out. Let's talk. Let's get, to, let's get to know each other. And some people are like, well, I've got all the friends I need. And I'm sorry, that does not reflect the heart of Jesus. Like some of the best friends that I have right now are people I've met in the past couple of years. You know, Tyler... You guys all know, I tore his ACL in basketball. I'm a really good friend, right? He texts me this morning and says, hey, I am praying for you this morning. I really wish I could be there, but he just had surgery on Friday to repair his ACL. I was like, man, I don't expect you to be there, but that's so nice. That's a friend who is intentionally showing me, hey, what you're going to do is important. I'm praying for you. Like, how are we doing that? So we're time, and I think... The other thing is that we have to be people who aren't judgmental. Because if you really want to be a friend that's trusted and loved, you're going to hear a lot of crap from people. You're going to actually, like, you know, they're going to share stuff with you that maybe inside you're going to be like, oh, you know? And yet, what's God's response? To love, to love, to keep on loving, right? To be a trusted friend who can actually take that stuff and say, I know this is a lot, but I'm going to take it and I'm going to give it to Jesus and I'm going to pray for you and we're going to get through this right? That's what we need to be. So, Ben, you guys can come back up. So Solomon talks in Ecclesiastes, and he says, you know, I've worked so hard. I've had everything I've ever wanted, and I realize I'm all alone, and, and life is meaningless. And so he ends this, this passage that he's writing. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? The one may be overpowered. Two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And so he comes to this great conclusion that we are desperately in need of relationship. And two is better than one. We work better. We live better. It gives purpose to life when we are with each other. And so if you are living an isolated, lonely life, you know what? There's more for you. There's more for you. So let's just stand up together. And this is how we're going to respond during this, 
these last uh, 20 minutes. Okay, we're going to sing, for those who want to sing. Um, if you want prayer, and so if you want prayer, if you're struggling in your relationships, if you feel like, you know what, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with companions, I don't have true friends, if you are feeling lonely, if you're feeling isolated, you know, the best thing that you can do if you want a friend is you can ask God for a friend. He can help you. He'll send people. I mean, it's amazing how he does that, right? God can help. Pray for those who are lonely or isolated. And then if you have any sickness or injury, we believe that God can help you in those things. And so we're going to pray. And I would say during this time, reflect on one way that you can intentionally invest in a friend. Put a reminder in your phone this week. Like, maybe it's a text. Maybe it's a call. You never know where someone's at until you actually get engaged in their life and you say, hey, I was thinking of you. What's going on in your life? You know, and you can be a voice of encouragement and hope, right? And so friends give hope to each other. They warn each other of danger and they sacrifice for each other. Let's pray. Jesus, we we thank you, God, that you designed us to need each other. We know that you have, there's there's a world that's isolated and broken, God, and we know that that is not in your heart. And we pray, Jesus, that we can be people who are true friends, that we can be people who change lives, God, by our love and our investment and our time and our energy, God. Lord, we know that we are busy. We know we have so much on our plates, but God, help us not make friendship at the bottom of the list. God, help us invest in our relationships, our marriages, our friends, God, if we live under excuses for why we can't do this, why we can't be the friends that that you called us to, God, break those off of us now, Lord, so that we can be the friends that you've called us to be, that we can remind our friends the dreams that are in their lives, that we can call them up to where they're called to be. So Jesus, thank you for this time.